بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So now we're getting into the story of origins. <clears throat> and, and so when we left off yesterday, we talked about some of the, the key characters of our story. So we have Sorry, gotta fix the spelling. We have Allah. We have angels. We have jinns. And we have humans. So, we've been speaking about Allah. Let's talk about angels. And so first, what are they made from? What are, in the Islamic paradigm, what are, what are angels made from? Anyone? Well, we have almost nobody in class today. So angels are made from some type of light. Jinns are made from some type of fire. And then humans are made from clay and water. Okay. Um, the latter, the jinns and the humans being from fire and humans being from clay and water, that's in the Quran. The light is, of angels is, is at least in direct reference from outside of the Quran in the Hadith literature. And then <laughs> uh, what else are some things to know? In terms of free will, and by free will here, I mean ability to disobey Allah. That just makes it confusing. Hold on. Angels do not have the ability to disobey Allah. Angels have identity, they have self-consciousness, they have the ability to question Allah, but they don't have the ability to disobey. Jinns have the ability to disobey, humans have the ability to, to disobey Allah. Okay. Then, <clears throat> To try to get a sense of, of the intellect of angels, they are sort of like ultra logic. Think of them almost as God's robots. Jinns are, so, are sort of have the intellect of a child, of a human child. 
And then humans, you know, they have human intellect. So when it comes to my undergrads, some of them seem like they're the intellect of geniuses, genius humans. Some of my undergrads seem like they have the intellect of gins. Then superiority. Which of all of these creations is the most superior? I, I want to say angels. Dun, dun, dun. Who else wants to vote for angels? Anyone? Who wants to vote for gins? Someone's voting for humans. Someone's like, oh, I'm a human. I should vote for humans. You know, as the most superior. Anyone else want to vote for humans? Uh, I've been human too long and seeing all the crap that we do. Okay. So humans are the most superior. What? <laughs> Okay. We have the superior intellect. Okay, so so these are the different characters in the story, <clears throat> and and so Aya's thirty to thirty said is origins and we have essentially three stories here good first story is the story of the announcement Second story is the story of the prostration. And the third story is the story of the tree and God's uh, final comments, final remarks. So, that's what we have here. So now let's look at IS 30 to 33. Okay. So, and when you're Lord and when you're Rub, uh, can you uh, can you all see the screen? No. No. Let's try again. Now. Okay. When your Lord said to the angels, "I will make upon the earth," okay, we'll define this term a successive authority. They said, will you place upon it one who causes corruption and sheds blood while we declare your praise and sanctify you? And Allah says, I know what you do not know. And he taught Adam the names, all of them. Then he showed them to the angels and said, inform me of the names of these if you are truthful. 
They said, exalted are you, we have no knowledge except what you have taught us. Indeed, it is you who is the knowing, the wise. He said, Adam informed them of their names. And when he had informed them of their names, he said, did I not tell you that I know the unseen of the heavens and the earth? And I know, and I know what you reveal and what you conceal. Okay. So, first verse, Allah is announcing he's going to create a khalifa on the earth. And the angel said, are you going to create someone who's going to cause a big mess? On contrast, we are all these people who obey you and praise you all the time. And then Allah makes Adam, and he says, and he teaches Adam the names of all these things, which we'll, we'll talk about. Okay. Then he goes to the angels, all right, you give me the names of all these things. And they say, glory to you, because <clears throat> that's what they do. They're always praising him, praising God. We don't know anything except for what you taught us. And then Adam is able to give the names of all these things. Why? Because God taught him. And then the angels were not. And so God says, didn't I tell you? I know. I know more. I know all. Okay. So let's talk about this idea of the Khalifa. So English, it is caliph. The linguistic meaning is one who comes later. So if you've ever heard of the term Salafi, Salaf is one who comes before, Khalaf is one who comes later. And then in general Islamic context, so the Islamic usage of the word is often a the political social leader. And, and this is often sort of understood as someone like a deputy of God. Okay. <clears throat> so Allah is saying he's going to put a Khalifa on the earth. And, and so... The angels are saying, are you going to put someone who is going to shed blood? Why are the angels saying this? The angels are saying that in our understanding, we already do everything you tell us to do. So why would you create another creation? And then if you're going to create another creation, we can't logically conceive of anyone doing anything better than us because we literally obey you and, pr and praise you. That's literally all we do. And so then it's going to be something less than us, which is, means someone who's probably going to shed blood. So let's go through this part by part. We have in the announcement. 
angels think it should be them. God says, I know more. Okay. I know better. That's basically the announcement. Okay. Or the first part of the announcement. And then God brings along Adam, peace be upon him. He teaches knowledge. Adam and then what does he say to the angels tell me the names of these things and, and they say we don't know um, you know we don't have this knowledge Thus, Allah has given Adam something that he didn't give the angels. And so one way this is understood is intellect. He has given Adam a superior intellect. And then Allah says, finishing off, So not just, I know better, I know all. Okay. Very simple point. So but I looked at I was saying that, okay, he's announcing a role, a job. Angels felt it should have been done just because their logical understanding, but he creates a being that he is saying is more qualified for this. Okay. That is the story of the announcement. Now let's look at the next event, the prostration. So, when we said to the angels, so Allah is saying to the angels, prostrate before Adam. They prostrated except for Iblis. He refused and he was arrogant and then he became one of the kafirs. Okay. So let's take this piece by piece. And we're going to include other passages in the Quran that give some more backstory. So Allah commands the angels to prostrate to Adam. So the angels prostrated. 
Why did the angels prostrate before Adam? Easy question, but sometimes it's a trick. Sounds like a trick question. Anyone? You asked why the angels did? Oh, because it was commanded? Yeah. They prostrated because they were commanded to prostrate. It's really that simple. And symbolically, what does it mean if the angels are prostrating before Adam? Anyone? But that Adam is greater. Yeah, essentially. But who are they actually prostrating to? Allah. Their prostration is to Allah. Right? Because they're prostrating out of obedience to Allah. Adam didn't say prostrate before me. Allah said to prostrate. Therefore, they're actually obeying Allah. They're prostrating actually to Allah. The form of it is that they're facing Adam. But then we have Iblis. Iblis refused. And then he hid behind arrogance. And became like a coffer. Okay. So now let's make reference to other passages in the Quran. So I'm just going to use a different color. Allah asks Iblis, when I gave the command, why didn't you prostrate? What should Iblis have said? Oh, uh, well. Yeah, say it to me. If it helps any, Iblis is a jinn. Yeah, I think he would have said, like, look, you gave the order to the angels. Yeah. Not, not to jinns. He could have said the command wasn't for me. You know, it was for angels. Uh, maybe he could have said, I only prostrate to God. You know. Mm. But what did he say? I am better than him. So whether you command me or not, I am not going to prostrate. And so because of this behavior, he's hiding behind arrogance. Uh, what is it that's causing the arrogance it's jealousy. He felt he should have been the Khalifa. Okay. So some more backstory about him. Uh, he was such a pious jinn that it is said that there isn't a spot in the world where he didn't prostrate to God. Every spot in the world, he prostrated to God. So where you're sitting, where I'm sitting, he is prostrated to God there. And then on top of that, 
<clears throat> there was this battle among the jinns, almost imagine like a cosmic battle, and he established peace between them. So when Allah announced that he is going to make a khalifa in the world, the angels thought, okay, other than us, Iblis thought it would be him. And then Allah chooses Adam, who up to that point hasn't done anything. It doesn't exist. And so Iblis is jealous that Allah picked Adam over him. And then, then, so he's refusing any prostrations and then to hide behind, to justify himself, he's hiding behind arrogance, saying, I am better than him. You created me from fire, you created him from clay. But because he is, now keep in mind, he's talking directly to Allah, having this conversation. And because he's showing this type of arrogance to Allah, he gets banished to hell. And then Iblis makes a request. Don't send me to hell now, send me to hell on the day of judgment. So he is basically an undergrad asking for an extension. Okay. And that is granted. And then he makes a vow. He says to God, because you made this happen to me, I am going to sit on the straight path and lead your believers astray. Okay. I'm going to ambush them. from in front of them, from behind them, from their left, from their right, from every direction. Okay. And he is granted that request to try. And God says, you're not going to be able to get my true believers. Okay. This is the story of the prostration. Now let's get into the story of the tree. So when are these stories taking place in relationship with each other? We're talking about a realm beyond time. So they could be at the same time. It could be in chronological order. It could not be. And so we said, Adam, you and your wife live in paradise. Eat whatever you want. Drink whatever you want. As much as you want. Okay. Just don't come near this tree. Okay. Or you will be wrongdoers. And the word here for wrongdoers, volim, uh, would be it's people who, who cause darkness. And so the common, uh, the Quranic understanding is you are oppressors if you go to the tree. And then Satan causes them to slip and it removes them from the condition which they were in. 
And then we said, meaning Allah said, go down all of you enemies to one another and you will have upon the earth a place of settlement. You're going to live there for a time. And then Adam received words from his Lord and he accepted and his Lord accepted his, his repentance. Allah is the one who accepts repentance and is merciful. And then Allah says, go down all of you. And when guidance comes to you from me, whoever follows my guidance, they need have no fear, nor will they grieve. And whoever rejects them or denies them, or denies our teachings, here it says our signs, they will be companions of the fire. They will live therein forever. Yep. So now let's just put this together. So we have the announcements. No, not the announcement. What am I saying? The tree. So Allah tells Adam and his wife. Enjoy all paradise, but stay away from this one tree. then the devil makes them forget. So in other passages of the Quran, what is taking place? He says it's a tree of immortality. And they go to the tree. Then <clears throat> they feel something, Adam and Eve, they feel something that they haven't felt before. They feel bare. And they feel remorse. And then Allah teaches them the prayer the prayer for remorse. So the prayer to seek forgiveness.
And then they make the prayer. So they request forgiveness. And that is granted. Then they're sent to earth, sent to the world. And then at the end, we have Allah's final words. And we'll go back to that screen in just a moment. Which is pretty straightforward. If you follow my guidance when it comes, you will be successful. If you reject my guidance, you are doomed. Okay, so now we've, we've, we've talked about the first event. And then we've talked about the second event. So let's talk about the tree. So here they are in paradise. Are they in, do they have access to all of paradise or where is this paradise? You find all kinds of, of uh, scholarly speculation and such. And they're told, all right, eat whatever you want, just don't come here. And then the devil fools them and they go exactly what they weren't supposed to go. Then they feel these things they haven't felt before and they then make, the, they are taught, here's what you do when you're feeling this way. Make this prayer. They make the prayer forgiven. And then they're sent to earth. So here's the question. <clears throat> Uh, if they are forgiven, why are they being sent to earth? What do y'all think? So that they learned their lesson and spread it? Well, it seems like they've already learned the lesson. There's an even easier answer. Yeah, Summer. I would say um, there's consequences forgiven, but there's still consequences. Okay. The other so, thing was is that it's destined for them to go highway. Yeah. What was the official purpose? That God was creating a Khalifa on the earth or in the world. The original purpose was for them to be God's Khalifas. And so if that's the case, then what's the point? If they're supposed to go to the earth all along, then what's the point or what's the wisdom we can gather from the exercise with the tree? You know, why not just send them to the world? Uh, to show us that even if we make mistakes and we're remorseful, we can be forgiven. Yes. So it was almost like a training period. 
here's what's, you know, you're going to go wrong. And the key is to bring yourself back in the right. And then inshallah, things will be okay. And so there's a couple understandings here. One understanding is that the fact that they went to the tree started the process of them going to the earth. And the other understanding is that regardless of the tree or not, they're headed to the earth. But the point is that the exercise with the tree is showing them that they will fall off base. They will make mistakes. And so then the key to, to salvage themselves is to turn back to Allah which were his closing remarks. Okay. And will, will wrongs be committed in paradise? At the, uh, at the end of the period? Okay. So this, this is part of the debate of like, where are they exactly? And so, so there's a couple of opinions. One opinion is that they're in the same paradise that we would all be going to. Yeah, that's a smaller opinion. A more common opinion is that it's a, spe- it's a specific small section of paradise. And the argument for why it's not the whole paradise is just like your question, okay, it's not possible to be wrong in paradise. And there's also no limitations in paradise, but they have limitation, right? Don't go to the tree. And so a third opinion, which is kind of fun, is that it's some special place where paradise was meeting the earth. And for some reason, Jordanians like to claim that it's Jordan. <laughs> like the, the Garden of Eden is someplace in some plateau or something in, in Jordan. But yeah, exactly. So, so in terms of like the, the setting and such, the majority opinion is that this is like some sector of paradise. It's not the big paradise that will be the reward of the believers. Any other questions? No other questions about anything. Another point to consider is that in these different parts of the story, we also start introducing some foundations of Islamic law. One foundation is God knows all. that the prescriptions that were being given in Islamic law are not arbitrary. And it's going to include some commands. And it's going to include some limitations. Go anywhere, just don't go to this tree. Drink anything you want, just don't drink this. Eat whatever you want, don't eat this. Have such and such types types of relationships, don't have these types of relationships. And then the final remarks. When you go off, turn back to Allah, straighten yourself out, and follow Allah's guidance. So think of this as some philosophical foundations of Islamic law. Okay, any questions? Oh, not a question, but just kind of reflection. So it sounds like that story a part of it is to even normalize sinning. Mm-hmm. Normalize like it's a normal part of, you know. I know, I know it's simple, but I was just thinking about it. Like it's so, I know a lot of people. Uh, I don't know if you, you, you're breaking up or if I'm breaking up. 
she's she's breaking up. Oh, hey, Doctor Summer, we're having trouble uh, hearing you. Or at least the first part of of, of what I what I heard you say. Is, um, yeah, maybe normalizing sin is not the best way to describe it. But yeah, but the point being that sin is going to be part of your existence. And and so uh, the Quran uh, and then especially the Hadith are speaking very much about how people are. This is what people are like as part of the process of saying here's how people should be. And think about it even from the first pages. We talked first, we talked about uh, uh, the people of Taqwa. Then we talked right after that about rejectors of faith. And then right after that, we talked about hypocrites and such. It uh, looks like you're back. Sorry, I was on my phone. So I don't know. But I was supposed to say, like, just normalizing, um, like, the story just normalizes the nature of sinning. Um, I know it's like a simple, it's a simple aspect, but I feel like a lot of people st really struggle with their self-identity as Muslims when they do sin and whether they have a mental health issue or not, but it can exacerbate just that anxiety and feeling bad. Um, and I feel like it's like, they, they get confused a little bit because it's a trap. They want to be good and good Muslims and good people. But then when they sin, they feel like they're bad and then they feel like they're so distant and hopeless about being good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, so that leads us, uh, that's a perfect segue into the name Iblis. So Iblis is not his actual name. Uh, there's a couple uh, outside the Quran, a couple sources for his name. One is that it is Azazil, another that it is Harith, another is that he received the title of Al-Hakam. What does Iblis mean? The one who has fallen into despair. The one who has separated himself because of despair. And so what was the first set of lessons of this whole course about? The mercy of God, connecting to Allah and connecting to his mercy, which means if I believe in the mercy of God, I don't, I am not allowed to fall into despair. And so despair is the way of the devil. So at the very, very least, I do, I'm never allowed to give up. So imagine you're going through life and you literally feel like you are in the middle of the night, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm. And not only can you not see the light of the stars, you can't see anything. It's completely dark. You still have to be convinced that there's light somewhere. Um, I had a dream like that. Tell us about it if you'd like. It was completely dark, no stars. I was in the middle of the ocean, but oh, I was on a boat. But the uh, but the ocean there developed a huge whirlpool, and like you could see to the to the bottom, and the bottom became like an abyss. Well, I was circling the drain. And then, did you survive? No, I woke up. I was not going to stay for that drain. <laughs> so you survived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, that wasn't last night, was it? No, 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 no. This was uh, years ago. Uh, speaking of which, I don't want to derail this. What do you think about um, apocalyptic dreams? Yeah, the other thing. So we're taught that there's some 40 levels of dreams. The lowest or 40 levels of revelation, the lowest would be true dreams. Uh, so there is, uh, there are some dreams that I do believe are actually prophecies. Yes. 
there are a lot of dreams that come true um, in part just because of the odds of dreaming something and then coincidentally something happening. So that's also true too, right? And if you think of how many days old you are, you know, you might be, you know, 10,000 days old. And, and so that's 10,000 nights of sleeping. The odds in 10,000 nights of having a dream that also seems to take place uh, after that is, is, is to happen once, twice, three times in your life is very high, you know, but I'm still saying there are still dreams that are, that are prophecies. And then what else are dreams? <laughs> uh, uh, think about when we talk about yearnings. Um, and then as you're going through life, you're filtering your yearnings to the point that you may not even realize what you're really yearning for. When you're in your dream, most of those filters are gone. And so you're being exposed to what your real yearnings are. That's, that's forming the dream world. And then, and then what else is taking place? Physiology will also affect your dreams. So if you eat something strange, I mean, or some food can have some effect in your dreams, the devil tries to get in your dreams. And then the prophet, peace be upon him, also can enter your dreams as well. And the devil can imitate many people, but the devil cannot imitate the prophet, peace be upon him. So what is, what is it said about a dream with the prophet in it? Well, the prophet came to you for some purpose. Okay. You know, like a, a, a question that I receive periodically is, uh, I mean, once in a while, is someone will ask me, okay, what does it mean if, you've seen the, if you used to see the prophet in your dreams when you're a kid, uh, but not when you're an adult? And for me, that's a red flag. And, and so then, and I'm thinking of one specific case in particular of a student who had this exact question. And she decided that she doesn't see the prophet anymore in her dream because she's, uh, she's decided she's a real bad person and this and that. And so then I asked her to tell me this because uh, I had a suspicion of what was going on here and they're confirmed by her questions. I asked her, okay, tell me like, you know, what was going on when you're seeing the prophet in your dreams? And so she's about eight years old. And the prophet would come to her in her dreams saying, don't go into this room. And this was a room in her house, which is where her uncle used to stay. This is what's happening in her dreams. Don't go into this room. And so for a while she'd stay away from the room, but then she went into the room and she started going to the room and her uncle used to take advantage of her. So the prophet was actually coming in those cases to try to protect her. But as it happens, when you are a victim of abuse, you often start blaming yourself. Uh, and often the predator will blame you as well. And so that led to this whole outlook that she developed for at least the next 10 years or 20 years that she's a horrible person. So sometimes the prophet peace upon him is entering. So think of the prophet entering your dream as never being purposeless that he is entering your dream for some purpose. Sometimes it is uh, out of a need that you have, you may or may not even realize you had it. How do you know it's the prophet? So when it's the prophet, you recognize it's the prophet. That's also part of the experience of seeing the prophet in the dream. So what would it mean if you saw people from your past that passed away? If you're um, cousins or 
It could be them. It could be uh, your own innate yearning to see them. And so think of like this worldly life as the external source putting things before you. So Allah is putting things before you. Think of your dream life as your innate yearning making things happen. With other influences too. Like we said, you have physiology, you have the devil, the prophet entering your dream, etc. So when you see someone who's passed away, it could be you're yearning to see them. And that yearning might have been so subtle you didn't even notice. Is it possible that it's them? Maybe. My other question actually that I just thought of right now is, so the prophet came to that um, girl when she was young to protect her, mm -hmm. but as an adult, he stopped coming, coming to her. Wouldn't it made more sense also for the prophet to come in her adulthood to see her through it? Well, or she did not need it in that moment in, the, in her latter period of life. So think of it from the perspective that uh, at that moment in life, she had no other source uh, guiding her. So, for example, why am I being informed of the dream? Um, she's telling me, she's coming to me to uh, ask questions. So maybe it was not as necessary for the prophet himself, peace be upon him, to, to appear. Because she had other people in her world to talk to. See what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Any other questions? So if if caliph means um, to come after, mm -hmm. um, why was why was Al-Islam named like why was it what was he coming after? So, so, so that would be just the linguistic definition, right? And some people argue that this is then the responsibility for all the humans. Okay? Or he is coming after all the animals that are already in the world. You know? Or, and or this is referring to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So there's multiple uh, interpretations of that exact question. Any other questions? Yeah, in regards to dreams, um, do certain animals mean certain things in dreams? Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer. Okay. Yeah. I think I've seen every animal in my dreams. Oh, really? That's interesting. All at the same time or at different times? No, different times. Uh. Yeah, I've had um, really vivid dreams about different animals at different times. So I remember there was one about a tiger, one about a bear, there were crows, there were um, different, I mean, there's so many, I can sit here and name them all, but I, I was always curious what each one meant or, and I have, my mom has this dream book that Sometimes I, and it has hadiths on there in there, so I don't know how uh, legit the book is. Or yeah, I'd, I'd have to see the book to, to to comment. More often than not, they're usually not legit, but I'd still have to take a look. So. Any other questions? So, if you have a dream that you're praying in the opposite direction of the qibla, what does that mean? 
Uh, it could mean that you uh, have some seeds of rebellion inside of you. Or the hypothetical person who had this dream. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, literally think about if you were to go into the deepest, deepest corners of your heart, things that you have buried so deeply you don't even realize are there. And now you're unlocking everything to reveal what's deepest inside of your heart. Those are things that you're seeing in your dreams, but the way you're seeing them might still be somewhat filtered. In contrast to the moment you're in right now, sitting here in this class, there's things deep inside of you. Some of them play around in your heart. Some of them come back to mind periodically. Then there's things even deeper. And so let's say there's a list of 30 or 100 things that are deep down inside of your heart. They will manifest in your dreams uh, as you know your innate yearnings. So what do you find very commonly? <coughs> People who are uh, who are in really the conscious experience of some sort of oppression will have very, very frequent nightmare type dreams. Because yeah. that's how they're, you know, deep down, that's how they're seeing the world. Any other questions? Yeah. <laughs> have you had any apocalyptic dreams? I've had all kinds of dreams. And by the time you get to my age, man, you've seen, you've seen everything. Then. <laughs> yeah. Of course, a lot of times my, my nightmares are Oh man, you know, like I'm asleep. I forgot to bring a dry erase marker. Now how am I supposed to teach? You know? But that experience in my dream could be the experience of someone else, you know, having some horrific thing happening to them. I've had world ending dreams before mm -hmm. where like the sky cracks open. Mm. I believe it. It's interesting. I think you should put the dreams with the gin. I think those are some of the top topics that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dreams are fascinating. I know, like, even from a mental health perspective, you know, it's the window to the unconscious. Mm -hmm. But I definitely reserve it. I think there's an element of dreams that's, you know, um, has an element of the divine. I mean, it's mentioned in the Quran, the story of Yusuf. Mm -hmm. It's all, it talks about a dream. So it is very valuable, subhanAllah. And I think there's parts that are very physiological, but mm -hmm. like you said, like it's, it is very fascinating. And some mm -hmm. people have rich dreams. Some people don't remember their dreams. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree. But a way to think about this is in building on this point is think of dreams as being as real as your waking life. It's just that the rules of operation are different. I do not want to think of that. <laughs> Understandably. I've always, I've, I mean, I've always held the conception that dreams were just the vomit of the unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I and, and I always thought it was like a standalone system, right? Mm -hmm. Psyche is a stand so there's nothing else coming in. Mm -hmm. um, didn't consider that other stuff can come in because it, it requires access to your, to your psyche, right? Which is disturbing. Yeah. Can be, yeah. What about eating in your dreams? Uh, I had a sheikh once tell me that accepting food in your dream or eating in your dream, that means the devil's feeding you or you ate from the devil. Uh, I'm not familiar with it being limited to that. I think it also depends upon what is being eaten, who in your dream is giving it to you, how are you partaking of it, what type of satisfaction are you getting? I would include all those things as part of it. 
part of the analysis. Yeah. I feel like um, psychologically and anatomically interpretation depends, like you said, on the person. And like sometimes the same dream can have different interpretations. I dreamt, I mean, I had a dream where I was eating before, but it was in heaven. It was oh, like nice. a long table, food everywhere. And then uh, I think an angel came to me. He was like, get up. You're not done. And he kicked me out of heaven. I went back to it. <laughs> I was well, hopefully, hopefully the first half of it is a prophecy, you know, a good prophecy. I, that's what I hope. I hope the second half is just nothing but fantasy. Yeah. Any other questions? Oh, I had a question. Really yes. random. Um, so if we are uh, better uh, than like angels and jinns because of our intellect, would what does it say that what does it say about like uh, people with like disabilities or who are like not at like full mental capacity? So there's this idea of being mukallaf, meaning someone who has responsibility, you know, before the divine and such. And, and so that's essentially someone in simple language, someone who is of sound mind and has reached puberty and sound mind means they have the capacity to know clearly for them, what is healthy for them, what is harmful for them. And, and thus the capacity to restrain themselves from it. If someone doesn't have that, you know, in our language, we might say that they're, that they're mentally ill or something, but if someone does not have that, then they can't be held to account. So someone who in this world we might call, you know, what's the word? I mean, we used to, uh, you know, like mentally challenged, you know, who does not have the capability of, of telling right from wrong. Those people might go straight to paradise because they do not have it. And therefore, how can they be held to account? So is, doesn't that potentially open the door up for, say, psychopaths? Possibly. I mean, it would depend upon what's going on in their minds and what's, uh, what's going on in terms of their actions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Be an interesting situation. Mm-hmm. Other questions about anything at all as we finish things up? Hey, yeah. I'm- Okay. Hey, I'm about sleep talking. Mm-hmm. And your question is? What does it mean when you sleep talk? No, I've, I've got no clue on that one. That, that would be more Dr. Summer's realm, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, a little bit. I wanted to say, like, because when you said sleeping, part of it has a physiological functioning. So some people, some aspects that would, like, shut down or paralyze communication from your brain to your body is interrupted. So whatever you're thinking is acted out, whether it's walking or sleeping, I mean, there is different reasons for that. Mm. It could be I like a sleep disorder, or it could just be some random experience, depending on how fatigued a person is and um, interrupted the sleep processes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I had a student, I didn't ask for more details, but I had a student this past school year who said that uh, whatever uh, a component in your brain paralyzes you when you're asleep doesn't happen for her. And exactly. so she, she's nonstop moving. Yeah. yeah, it's dangerous because you can act out your, because it's literally the pawns. So because yeah. the, the visual part, the emotional part, and the pawns, which shuts down communication to your body are the main parts that are active. That's why your dreams are usually highly emotional and visual format. Mm-hmm. So that's like the parts of the 
doesn't work, you're going to act out what your the activity in your brain. Well, isn't the reverse also true? So whatever is like not shedding, not paralyzing you for your dreams can also paralyze you when you're trying to wake up. That is sleep paralysis. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then when people have thoughts that, oh, maybe it's like the gym, you know, when they have, because when you, when you wake up, it's even if it's just parts of the seconds, that feeling of feeling paralyzed can feel like you're either falling um, or can just feel like there's something heavy over you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, it's not the gin. Uh, we'll say in terms of you, it's probably a gin. So. Uh, all right. I was just going to say, Dr. Summer just answered my following question and they <laughs> ruined it. any other questions about anything at all yeah can you fast if you go to the dentist can i fast if i go to the dentist oh you mean like does it break your fast if you go to the dentist uh uh, assuming you don't swallow down any of the the paste and all that stuff for the water then until you're fine if they're injecting something that does not break your fast so if you felt a drop of water go down your throat, that means your fast has been broken. Uh, inshallah not. Yeah. Oh, so I can continue to fast. I mean, are you at the dentist's office right now? You know, I left a I'm little just... bit ago. <laughs> well, inshallah, inshallah, you're fine. Oh, okay, thanks. But if you start bleeding during the process, does, do you lose the fast? If you're, if you're bleeding so much in your mouth, that it's filling up your mouth, then number one, you should break your fast, and number two, you should go to the doctor right away. Go to the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, I was thinking if you are at the dentist, and you know, sometimes when they like do work, like you start bleeding. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, not enough, or that's uh, because it's coming from within you, you know, like swallowing your saliva, right? That's uh, it won't break your fast. The closest thing is if you vomit so much that your mouth is full, that breaks your fast. Okay, thanks. Wait, if you vomit so much, your, your mouth is full? So if you vomit a little bit and your mouth is not full, you can continue to fast? In- inshallah, your fast is okay, yes. We'll leave with this image. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions about anything at all? I do. It's actually for Dr. Summer. What kind of doctor? Go for it. Oh, sorry. What was your question? What kind of doctor are you? Uh, clinical psychology. Oh. <laughs> Impressive. Nice. Any other questions about anything at all? All righty, so, so if we look at the overall evolution from the very first uh, discussion all the way to the end, at the beginning we spoke about connection, and then from there connection to a law, and therefore connection to a law through his mercy, through his rahma, which is tempered by the day of judgment, meaning some of his mercy is going to be in this world, but otherwise it's going to manifest uh, on the other side for those who will be receiving it. And then in the second half of the first surah, it is our response to his mercy. Either we'll be on the path of his favors or the path of anger or of those who are astray. And then we went into the second surah. We started with alif lam mim, this ambiguity. And we said, what's taking place? I'm intellectually submitting to Allah. And then we had three character types or belief uh, types. We had the people of taqwa, 
we have the people of rejecting faith, the gophers, and then we had the hypocrites, which are sort of believers on the outside but rejecting faith on the inside. And our concern is to try to be like the people of Tukwa, not to be the coffers, and definitely not to be the hypocrites. And we had attributes of, of, of each of those, then we had metaphors about them. And then finishing off yesterday, we had the story, we had foundational concepts, especially about Allah and the foundational commands. And then that led into an actual historical example, the, the, what I call the origins, the story of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them. And how did that end? Well, first, or, or how does it start? That we actually have a purpose in this world to fulfill. And then how does it end? It ends by saying, all right, when you go off the path, get back on the path. And when guidance comes, follow it. If you don't follow it, you're going to be in bad shape. And that completes the entire course. Any other last questions about anything else? The hypocrites. I don't remember much about that lesson, but was there levels of hypocrisy? I mean, there actually are levels for all of these things, but uh, in terms of the, the what's being defined at the beginning of the surah, there would be like the model. The model hypocrite would be a really bad hypocrite. The model uh, kafir is one who is never coming back. The model person of taqwa is a person who is just getting closer and closer to Allah. So definitely levels for all of these things. So is there a part two to this that we can join or? So there's a part two. Uh, usually what I'm seeking is a certain number of people. And so what I'm probably going to be doing is do another round of this course. And then depending upon how many people sustain, because here we have basically give or take about 10 people, you know, or including all the people in Rochelle. So that might be another 30 people who are in those two frames and this base. And then uh, we will uh, we'll see when uh, when I offer course number two. There's another group where I just finished course number three, but that group is also beginning to dwindle. And so stay tuned if it interests you, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you very much for this course. Absolutely, inshallah. Wait, we're done? We're done. Today's last day? Yes, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> we are done forever now you have to practice what you have learned when does the when are you going to start this class again uh, uh you mean this round one this course number one yeah round one uh i haven't decided i might post something on facebook uh, maybe in the next week i gotta figure it out okay can we I join i don't have facebook uh, well i mean you just stay in touch with me uh okay. so somebody else is asking a question Oh, can we still join it? I mean, yeah, you like can do we, courses. You can do this course as many times as you want, but or go to that that um, the, the website where I've saved all the the, the audio recordings, uh, which was tinyurl um, pandemic Quran class L one. So all the recordings are there. And almost all of the whiteboards are there, and some of the notes are there from students. Hmm. Any other questions? I don't think I, nobody was ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like super sad. When do you think the second class will start? Honestly, uh, at this exact moment, I have no clue whatsoever. Because even even the course three people they're like we're gonna get course four I said I don't really know right now 
And I started this basically to give everybody uh, some amount of stability through through the course of the pandemic. Now I think we sort of had that stability, even though the country's burning down. Releasing us into space. I'm sorry. Releasing us into space. Exactly. Exactly. We're led by Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Where does the uh, where does the um, the information about Adam being 80 feet tall comes from. Uh, there's a, a hadith that talks about his height. I don't think the word feet is in there. It's probably cubits. Cubits? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that unit. Um, come from a Christian background. Well, it's in the Bible too. I mean, that's a background. Feet, cubits, arms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of creation science. Uh, maybe. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so what, so what Christians do is they, they look at the Bible and they treat some of the verses like science, uh-huh. right? And then they try to find evidence in the world that verifies the verses of the Bible scientifically, right? One such person, his name is Kent Hoven, who went to prison for fraud, uh, tax evasion, etc. Yes. Didn't even mention that. But nonetheless, he developed a theory about Adam and Eve being tall. Right now, he didn't. He did not claim that they were eighty feet tall, uh, or eighty cubits tall, however tall. But nonetheless, he came up with this theory. So, based on the origin story of the Bible, so like there was that firmament that covered Earth, double oxygen, more oxygen, you grow taller. Right? And that's where he got dinosaurs, etc. Like that. It's very controversial, um, especially with evolutionists. They say like, no, this doesn't make sense according to our records. Mm. Right? But I was wondering, is well, I wasn't wondering this, but do you, is there is there like a Islamic science equivalent to the Christian science that I just spoke about? Um, probably, but off the top of my head, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. But I'm sure it is there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, another way to think about it is just people taking various passages literally. So even when we're saying that Adam was give or take 80 feet tall, does that mean he was literally 80 feet tall? That's the majority understanding. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a metaphor or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Wasn't it also, I don't know who it was, but wasn't it there was like prophet that lived hundreds of years? Yeah, Noah, that's in the Quran. He lived 900 years. Mm-hmm. Now, was that the same calendar that the Prophet Muhammad had? Peace be upon him, maybe. Was it a shorter calendar? Could be. Okay. What shorter calendar? It was? Okay. You know this? No, no, no. I, I mean, what is the shorter calendar? You said it was it. A... Oh, yeah. No, I'm just saying, uh, do we know if we don't know if he used the same calendar? Oh, okay. Got it. Because the Prophet's calendar, peace be upon him, is a modification of the calendar of the Quraysh, you know, the calendar of the people of Mecca. So, which is similar in length to our calendar, right? It's about a week and a half shorter. But maybe the Prophet, maybe the, the calendar that Noah used was shorter. Imagine if it was longer. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. But yeah, we take him to be 900 years old, 950-something. Any other questions about anything at all? Yes. 
This is a really random question. Won't be the first, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, is it true? <laughs> if the shoe is upside down, it means it's praying to the devil. Uh, once again, in your house, probably, but I'm not aware of anything, <laughs> anything like, like that. Yeah. No, it's no, it's not praying to the devil. It's it's the shoe is facing up. It's it's facing God or something like that. And it's not just in our household. It's a, it's a, it's a, many Arabs think this. Yeah, I mean, we, all, we always have to flip our shoes. Daisy's uh, have their own bizarre opinion, uh, beliefs too. So yeah. Any other teachings or questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I. Um, when you do a do, and you don't have shoes on, and you're in the bathroom at home. Is that okay? Or do you have to have shoes on in the bathroom? How would you do with, with shoes on? <laughs> no, I'm saying like to when you wash your feet, you have to put your feet back into shoes or can you just walk barefoot into the bathroom? I mean, it depends on how clean or dirty your house is, you know. Okay, that's I mean, what I thought. That's what I was because, about to say. <laughs> that's what I thought because growing up, our teachers basically traumatized us in some way. They said that if we... Um, walk if we touch the bathroom floor without our shoes on or we'll do is broken and we have to do it over again and I it's mean, been in me i literally like have to if i forget shoes if i'm at home i have to like hop onto the bathroom mat and make sure like i skip over to get out of the bathroom so my feet don't touch the floor and then i realized this is ridiculous so i mean <laughs> i'm assuming your your house is clean but uh, your your Sunday school teacher is probably imagining an outhouse or something, you know, in some village, and so they're probably imagining how how dirty the floors might be there. You know. Okay, good to know. And then doing <laughs> we'll do on your socks. That's okay, right? Like okay, so if it's cotton socks, I'm of the opinion that no, it's you have to take your socks off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's like, let me just take this question out there too. Yeah. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> there are some people who are of the opinion that basically cotton socks are, are okay to wipe over. Uh, but I am not. Sorry. Didn't mean to. You know, you're doing so well up to this point. Your life is getting easier. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions about anything at all? Yes. I do. I'll go for it, Hania. Um. Why do we fold the corner of the dynamo? <laughs> okay, so that'd be another example of, of the, the shoe thing uh, that the Palestinians have. So, uh, so the, the, the theory is that you don't want the devil praying on your prayer rug. Obviously, you want the devil to pray, but what that's actually, you're, you're actually supposed to close your prayer rug so it doesn't get dirty. And so the devil likes filth. That's the actual teaching. But what it's turned into is, okay, you pray, and then you just close, you know, one corner of it, and now you have you protected your whole self from the devil. Yeah, it's, I don't know about anything uh, as goofy. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Yes. For Dominion. Oh. Yes. How'd you, how'd you come across Islam? And if you don't mind me asking, like, what interested you into learning about it? I had an ex-girlfriend who's Muslim. We broke up, and I'm still looking into it. What interested me? Um, 
I when I was working with her at the time at the same school, um, we had a we had a mutual friend, and he gave me a book by Ahmed Didat. Oh snap! Um, <laughs> yeah, he was the militant uh, militant uh, apologist for Islam, um, and I was reading it at the time. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna buy this stuff. But then, like, I think I read a line of his that said, like, some of the Bible verses make more sense in Aramaic, right? Which piqued my interest. I was like, okay, if that's the case, because I know that the Bible is translated. Uh, we speak English. The Bible's parts of the Bible's Greek. Other parts are Hebrew and etc. Uh, and he said he made the claim that parts of the Bible make more sense in Aramaic. So then, that's what kind of op- opened the door for me, right? And um, generally. I want to, I want to spiritually awaken, say. Now, I am not one of the new age people that likes to meditate and think about the transcendental stuff like that. I, I'm more concrete, sort of think of science and I, I like that stuff, but I want, I want to have a spiritual connection. I, a purpose in my life. So that's what I'm looking for. That's so cool, inshallah. Sure. Any other questions? Yes, for you, Professor. Yes. <laughs> when did you grow bald? I mean, I think it's been going on, you know, <laughs> forever. Did you know. met me? Yes, thank you, Vega. Actually, that's, uh, I would like to know that. So at what age did it start? Um, did so you- I'll put it like this. Uh, how old are you right now, Dominion? I'm 30. 30. I had just about the same amount of I'm hair as you do right now. When I was 30, I had about I had about that much hair when I was about when I was 30. Come on. <laughs> what surgeries are out there that will let, let you keep this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you go, oh yeah, you're not in Chicago, you're up in Detroit, but like right yeah. along the expressway, there's like a million ads, you know, for okay. hair restoration. I, is it affordable? Because I will move to Chicago. My cousin went to Turkey and got it done. It's affordable there. <laughs> got some plugs. Plugs? <laughs> Do they look natural? I don't want to look like Barbie dolls. I think so. I mean, imagine if I walked into class like the next day and you know, <laughs> full head of hair. You know. Yeah. That's funny. Any other questions about anything at all? All righty. Quick so, question. Yes. About what we see happening today uh, in America. Um, I've touched on it. I've seen your posts before on Facebook. But in terms of, like, violence that's happening and the protests becoming more violent, I guess, how does Islam view that? I know you've mentioned it before, but it's my understanding is that it's justified, correct? I mean, uh, I'm cautious against using the word justified. Uh, I would use the word uh, an expected consequence. So if we speak about, uh, for example, the intifada and the suicide bombing, um, isn't that an expected consequence of the occupation? I'd say absolutely. And so what do we have at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him? Uh, When they were in Mecca, he tells the, the, the Muslims, do not respond. Literally, kufu aidiyakum, keep your hands tied, no matter what they do to you. And then when they're in Medina, 
Then he started launching raids of the caravans of the Quraysh. And he gave specific rules for that too. And then that propelled the first battle, the Battle of Badr. Because what was the Battle of Badr over? That the prophet's uh, caravan, prophet was going to raid the caravan of Abu Sufyan. And the Quraysh said, yeah, let's make him do it. Let's, let's, uh, let's do it and let's turn it into a war. And so, so the argument we'd make is that uh, you should avoid violence at all costs, even if you have to lie, even if you have to you, you know, cheat. To avoid violence, you should. But uh, it's something that you may not be able to avoid. But if you're going to get into it, get into it in a, in a situation in which you could possibly win. You know, so one of the arguments given for why the prophet is saying in Mecca, do not respond is because there was only like 10 Muslims. There's only like, at most, there were 300 Muslims by the end against 5,000. And so the point is that if you're getting into violence, you're opening the door for, you're basically getting rid of your upper hand, your moral upper hand, and you're giving the oppressor the excuse to just crush you completely. So I'm saying from a strategic perspective, you should be avoiding violence, but there might be times when, you know, when you can, so to speak, get into the ring. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And just to follow up, you mentioned um, the occupation and and then to follow on suicide bombing. So suicide bombings that have happened. And I remember asking somebody a question about um, are those haram or is that permissible in Islam? I, there's only we're limited to how we can resist and fight back. Mm -hmm. But I had a hard time viewing uh, suicide bombings. Um, as a way to fight back because there were innocent people or children mm -hmm. when I brought up children that were killed. Um, they mentioned that everyone in Israel has to serve in the army. So at 18, everyone goes in the army. So those kids are basically all of them are either going to be um, in the army serving or will have to abstain religiously. Mm -hmm. um, but most of them go into the army. So they, that's how they justified it. Would that mm -hmm. be, so, uh, so I have to preface this by saying that's not my primary fight, but watching, looking at it from a distance, uh, I think that logic is not very strong. You know, okay. Especially if we're talking about people who've never been in the military because they're 15 years old or five years old. You know. You know. Uh, okay, sorry. Just since Hani will open this subject, I also have a question just because... There is also confusion on my end. Uh, yeah, I know that some be people believe that, you know, they um, are fighting for the better cause due to all things that happen to Muslims. Um, <clears throat> I mean, horrible crimes and stuff. And some of them, they definitely do that uh, bombing. And um, for me, it's suicidally, right? But if we know in Islam uh, that uh, suicide is actually forbidden, no matter how much we're suffering, and then all of a sudden we have people who are recruiters uh, <clears throat> and sending other people to, you know, kill themselves and to kill others in the name of Allah, which uh, I I'm just having a really, really hard time to understand uh, here going to like people who really died uh, on um, Allah in, in the name of Allah and people who are recruiting and doing this like all planning and bombing and stuff because for example I know the people in Bosnian war uh, after they passed away after they were killed in the war they were shaheeds but they definitely died in order to defend 
Islam and Muslims because we were attacked. Uh, but then, like, we have all this other stuff there going on around the world. And, and that's where I'm like, oh, it's like, do they not understand? Do they not doing right? Or do they get lost in this? Or do they still, I mean, it's a very, very complex question and it's a problem, right? But I'm just trying to understand, like, where, where, where is this connection? Is it in belief and misinterpretation of uh, Islam and Quran and how actually people should defend and live? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a couple of components, um, um, with some different parts of, of, of your question. So once again, war is something that should be avoided, but it might be something that can't be, right? If the, if the prophet could have avoided war, he would have avoided war, right? I mean, if there's anyone who could have avoided war, it would have been the prophets themselves. Yeah. Peace be upon them. And so, so one thing to take from that is that war is a bitter reality of life, now, having said that, the next issue is the issue of strategy. You know, just like I said, that if the Muslims started fighting while they're in Mecca, they would have been completely destroyed because there's only a couple of them. And, and they didn't start raiding the caravans until they were in a position where they were strong enough to do something like that. And, and then uh, we have to distinguish between the fight against occupation versus a lot of these international things we have, like Al-Qaeda and such, you know. So if you're fighting, if you're fighting an occupying force, right, then, um, then there's a direct aggressor there that you're responding to. So this would be the Bosnians and the Serbs, right? There's a, yes. there's a direct yes. aggressor, you know? <laughs> you know, but when we see things like Al Qaeda, you know, they're attacking the, 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 the world trade center. Um, I don't see what the strategy is there. And then we literally saw what happened that gave us an excuse to obliterate the entire world. You know, and so that would be at least from a strategic pl- uh, perspective, really, really ridiculous. And then I don't know how you can justify it religiously anyway. And relate to your point that they're sending other people. If I'm saying, all right, you're guaranteed to go to paradise if you do this, and mm-hmm. paradise is better than anything, then I should be the first person in line. You know, rather than sending other people, that would be like I'm building a mosque and I'm telling everybody else to pray, but I'm not praying. Well, you should go to this mosque I just built. You should go to this mosque I just built. So, so the Al Qaeda type stuff, I think that's more uh, an indication of just the, where a lot of the modern world is, where it's almost like there's no morality. It's just, you know, goals. So it's almost like there's no good or evil at the global sense. So. Yeah, because I'm just like, you know, of course, like people usually jump into conversation and discussion about these things, like trying to portray like, uh, terrorism with Islam, and I'm like, no, it's not, it's not yeah. that. But unfortunately, I mean, there's terrorism from every side of the world mm-hmm. and groups and stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, media does its own part, so it's always you kind of have to educate people to understand better that mm-hmm. it's not about it. But again, I, I really, I'm, I'm the, in the film industry. I did a lot of documentaries and stuff, and and it sometimes really like shocks me, like how certain people think you know, and, and how they like really find that that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, I don't know what to, like, will these people really go to paradise? Like to, you know, like, or what are they doing? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like, you know, teaching other generations too. And I know on another side where it's coming from too, like there are different, like, of course, uh, backgrounds, but you know, if people say like they, def- they, they, attacked us we need to attack them too i again also see like that innocent people are dying on both sides unfortunately Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's not like a battlefield that was in Bosnia. So we knew who attacked us and we know what we fighting for against. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely sure. Any other questions about anything at all? Yes. So when you said that the prophet ordered the Muslims in Mecca not to retaliate in violence because strategically it would have been a loss for them. Mm -hmm. Can you somewhat like, so can we say that right now protesting and violence is somewhat of a loss for us because they're, the police are still obliterating all the protests? So, uh, I don't think the people who are doing the violence are the protesters. I think one group is the protesters. Uh, I think another group are the instigators. And I think another group are the people who are looting as a result of the instigation. I think there's actually multiple groups that are all going on at the same time here. And okay. I don't think BLM is, is in any way telling people, okay, let's go shatter windows and all that stuff. But I think other people are taking advantage of the moment and trying to instigate and burn everything down. Oh. That's always a concern, right? That's, you know, in Nazi Germany, that was a Reichstag fire that it was accused of the communists and, and others. And then and it was used as an excuse to really get the Holocaust going. Um, and, but then the common belief is that it was the Nazis themselves that did it. I mean, conspiracy theories aside, I mean, we know that, that the, the U.S. government definitely took advantage of 9-11. And, you know, did they have complicit knowledge there? I mean, I didn't put it beyond Dick Cheney, but, you know, I mean, I don't even put it beyond Dick Cheney to say Al-Qaeda worked for, for, for Halliburton. But, but the point is that uh, we do know that power will use any excuse it can to sustain power. So then how are we, the ones that have no power, are supposed to respond to the, like, the injustices that are happening right now? So it yeah. requires a multi-pronged, much, a very wide, wide, long, long-term strategy. So one of the arguments given, and this is in my, my last chapel letter, um, from, from some time ago, uh, uh, that uh, a lot of people argue you can't get involved in armed conflict now. One reason is that at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, you had basically a couple hundred people against a thousand people with sticks and spears and arrows and stuff like that. Now it's a couple hundred people or a thousand people versus you know a police force, a military, uh, a whole arsenal of the Air Force and everything. And then you got all these civilians, you know, like the kind that, that protest because um, they want to get haircuts and all that, right? I mean, you have, you have, it's like the imbalance is so great that the only option is a very, very aggressive, nonviolent movement. I mean, okay, if there, if people are flipping out just because Colin Kaepernick is putting his knees down, his knee down, okay, that's giving an idea of how you know big the, you know, the the difference is in terms of the oppressor and the oppressor. And so I'm su suggesting it's a much, much larger, much more disciplined, aggressive, nonviolent movement. You know, so imagine if the protest is just one prong of it. I mean, think about it. Okay, so whenever the next siege is, you know, whenever Netanyahu launches the next siege, um, you know, over Gaza, uh, and you, there's a protest in Chicago, how many people are going to show up for the first one? Like thousands. Okay, how many people are going to show up for the second one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe thousands to show for the second one. When you get to the third, fourth, and fifth one, they're all going to vanish away, right? So I'm saying they're part of like the initial uh, work, but they're not really part of the movement, you know. And so, so what this requires is a very long-term, you know, 
And by long-term, I'm saying maybe like a hundred year long movement. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine another option? I mean, the civil rights was in a hundred years. I mean, but is the, if we removed the civil rights, no, let me change it. Uh, with the civil rights movement, okay, um, I, it, without it, I probably would not be able to be teaching at Loyola, right? I'm a beneficiary of the civil rights movement, you know? Uh, but is the experience in particular of African-Americans better after the civil rights movement? No. In some categories, yes. In some categories, no, right? So I'm saying it's not done. Oh, okay. So that means we have to continue what started like 60 years ago, 70 years ago. We have to keep going how they started. Yeah. And yeah, however long ago we're going, I mean, we might take this all the way back to Reconstruction or, or earlier, but the bottom line is that, yeah, it's a long way to go. Any other questions or thoughts? I mean, how long do you think it'll take for the liberation of Palestine? Uh, well, we're taught, what we were taught is that till the end of days, like, and there's going to blood war where blood is up to the knees and all the, mm -hmm. all the I don't know if it's all the Jews or all the Zionists that have to come to Israel mm -hmm. That's when the Palestinians will like revolt and there will be a war with yeah, the I, don't I don't think that's going to happen I think uh, most likely what's going to happen in the next 20 years is all the Palestinians are going to be obliterated by the settlers <gasps> what so it's not in the it's not in Islamic way that the way we've been taught. Correct. <gasps> Wait, what's, so what's been happening for, for literally the last 50 years? Land theft and massacres and genocide. Yeah. And uh, has there been any hint that any of that's going to slow down anytime soon? No, it's just increasing. Yeah. Until there's nothing left. What do you, I mean, isn't that where we're headed? Especially, I mean, think about it this way. Netanyahu is the closest to the center of all the big politicians. Okay, so then who has been teaching us that Islamically, like, we're not, we're, it's in God's hands. Like, yeah. I mean, it's always in God's hands. That's always the case. But that's right? like one of the major... Um, things that they go by back there is uh, like when we when we go there I ask them like how come no one resists how come they have accepted um, what they okay. have given? that's a different issue uh, so you know like you know about like battered wife syndrome right yeah. what's what's battered wife syndrome it's like she accepts that the violence is consistently and she doesn't leave like yeah and then she'll justify it you know it's not his fault and such yeah. When you, this is, this is in human nature, right? If you beat down a people, you know, you're basically turning them into zombies and you're, uh, they're often going to start turning against their own selves. And this is what you find in every oppressed population. So what you're seeing is, you know, coming from here, you're seeing, you know, people who are not rising up. Uh, I suspect what's actually taking place is people that are so beaten down that a lot of life and ambition has been knocked out of them. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's very clear. Yes, you can see that. 
but their justification of that was because the holy war well i mean then you will start creating a theology to support it hey dominion tell them about the about the hamitic curse what's the hamitic curse um what about the jews no the hamitic uh, the hamitic curse is coming um, if from the days of the slave masters or later that the whole theology was created that African-Americans are from the children of Ham, are the descendants oh, of Ham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So Noah has a couple sons, right? Ham, Japheth, and Shem. And, and, and so Ham is the son who turns away, and then he's cursed for the rest of his life. Yep. And so whole theology is created to say that African-Americans by design, almost by genetics are cursed. And so then when you're already beaten down, then theology starts forming to justify it further. And usually the theology is, is saying, okay, you're cursed. So you're going to fail or you're designed to suffer because God loves you so much. Right. Or just, um, you know, um, that, you know, that everything is in God's hands. We talked about this when we were talking about free will and predestination, that it's the obligation of the preachers to move people away from, from that thinking. So if you look at any oppressed population, you can be sure that their theology is supporting their oppression. Yeah. I mean, does, it, does it make sense? Yeah, I mean, now that you put it, yes, now I see it. So we made the whole thing up? Somebody did. It may have been our people or it may have been the occupiers. Oh, God. So, I mean, occupation well, it, is not just a land, really right? It's occupation of the mind. It, it is frustrating because when we visit and we see um, our family and people living there being complacent, living under the occupation and and basically justifying it but then we justify it like we don't have to live those conditions so we can't we don't know what they go through and they obviously have to survive so that's why they adapt mm -hmm. instead of resisting because a lot of the palestinians go into israel to work and some of them build those dang um yeah. settlements so for us it's hard to understand how can you build the wall how can you build the settlements mm -hmm. and we just think oh they're surviving they're trying to survive mm -hmm. not really I didn't realize that we also started a whole the theology behind it too. Yeah, I'm just saying uh, when when you're beaten down so much and you have like two options in front of you, you know, what are you going to do? You know, just to get through the day. So, why would we be seeing the situation that we are? And I'm suggesting that on the other side. You have this Zionist machine that is expanding and expanding and expanding with nothing to stop it. So that means there is no holy war? Like if the Aqsa does fall, there won't be a holy war. There okay, is so, no to the knees. So do you think that when, when they destroy Al-Aqsa, uh, do you think the entire Muslim woman is going to be rising up? No. I don't think so. Well, well now, no. No? I mean... Saudi operating. If the Ummah is not rising up over what's happening to the Uyghurs, if the Ummah is not rising up over what's happening to the Muslims in India, where there's there's literally 300 million Muslims, right? You know, and then uh, the the Ummah didn't rise up when the stuff was happening in Bosnia, you know, and and so you know what? Why why would we expect that it's going to rise up? You know, when when Aksa gets destroyed.
supposedly it's one of our holy sites. It is, you know, but if we're not rising up for human beings, we're definitely going to rise up for a building. The, the fighting that you're talking about, end of times fighting, that's in Iraq. That's not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is part of the story. Um, but the fighting, there's going to be so much blood and all that, that's at the Tigris of the Euphrates. I feel like you just shattered my whole world. Okay, I, was I, feel just like, I, feel, I feel like this whole course has been doing that for you. So congratulations. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to this. I mean, at least does what I'm saying sound like it makes sense. It does. This makes way more sense than me watching just how complicit every time we go home and we just have to keep our mouth shut. Oh, because, you know, there's a holy war. There's a holy war eventually going to win. Now I realize we're never going to win. I really, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I don't say this all that often very publicly, but I think the, the destiny of the Palestinians is that they're going to be completely wiped out and probably within the next 20 years. Especially as those settlers get stronger and stronger. I mean, again, Netanyahu, as wild and radical as he is, he's the closest person to the center of these big politicians. What do you mean by that? I don't understand that. I'm saying as, as radical as he is, there's worse people. There's, everybody else is even worse than him. Yeah. It's kind of like saying Trump is the least worst. Yeah, it's like Trump's moderate. Wow. I remember when I was in high school and he got sworn into office. Yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been in office um, on and off going all the way back to the early 90s. Yeah, I think maybe it was like, I forgot, it was something big that happened when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. But like, I know he was like on the news a lot and stuff because I remember like one of my class, we would sit down and watch um, CNN student news mm-hmm. and uh, he would always be the topic mm-hmm. of um, the usual reports. I mean, here's, here's the part that makes it even more frightening. Which of the Zionists are the most frightening of them all? It's the Christian Zionists, right? The ones that do whatever it takes for Jesus to return. And where do they all live? Out here. In places like Rochelle. <laughs> yeah, there is actually a bumper. I saw someone's bumper that said, I stand with Israel. Yeah. The, do you think they care about the Jews of Israel? No. no. They don't care about the Jews of Israel. They don't even care about the Christian Palestinians. Oh, wow. <laughs> I feel like he doesn't like Rochelle as much as we do. Oh my God. So what is this war that, that we have misconstrued that you're talking about that's going to happen in Iraq? I mean, there's, definitely, there's definitely end times fighting that's going to happen. This big giant battle led by the Mahdi uh, against these forces of evil and Isa alayhi salam Jesus is going to be returning as part of that. And Jerusalem is part of the story, right? But most of this fighting is taking place around the Tigris and the Euphrates and such, which is what's been going on for the last 20 years, last four, um, last 30 years. Yeah. Uh, um, huh. 
So there is no there's no trees that are going to be talking and saying hey, the that we do we do have uh, we do have narrations like that yes you know and who knows like you know oh. what, what that means um you owe me an answer what was the answer I think Ibn Sina <laughs> well yeah okay that's one I was I was thinking about your questions so yeah okay um but the first one uh well not the first one probably the second one um prophecies that. Muhammad uh, gave. Do you do you remember some now? Remind me of the whole question. The question. Uh, so okay. So it was talking about what what does it take to count as a prophet, right? And I'm think I'm I was going through a list in my head, right? Have a message. Um, some would add miracles or not, um, and then prophecies, prophet prophecies, right? So I was wondering, like, well, what are some prophecies that he has? Mm-hmm. Right, because I've never heard any. So, um, oh, uh, Sana, to to your question, uh, I'm going to post the other the other exams on that document. Uh, I'll try to do it uh, right after class and show them. But um, uh, oh yeah, for all those, I probably should have said it earlier. For all those who do want to take a, the the course number two, you have to you have to pass those tests. What? <laughs> There's short answers, so don't worry. But anyway, so so a prophet is basically what is the definition of prophet? Someone who's been appointed by Allah to call their people to turn to God. That's okay. essentially it. And then part of their call is that there's a coming day of judgment. That's okay. in its most simple nutshell what it is. Okay. Any other questions? I, I like the fact that the Sabiya sisters are just sitting there like totally stunned. You know, we don't know what to think anymore. You have no idea. <laughs> it's so dark in your room. It's the, it's the window. It's because I'm in bed. Yeah, this, is, this is the most light she's had in, in her window in a long time. <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore. Um, can we take the test as a collective? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're t- every person has to submit their own test, but you're welcome for it to be open book, open note, open recording. But the answers has to have to be from the class. Okay, I, or from the course, as opposed to here's my answer to this because a bunch of people started giving me their Sunday school answers and I marked them wrong. <laughs> I have not been taking any notes. Okay, well you got you got you have a whole set of recordings. You know, you have a whole set of like almost thirty recordings that you can. <laughs> I can email you my notes if you'd like. Wait, how how how? Yeah, hang on. <laughs> oh, it just it'll just give me some time to. There you I, go. I can send you screenshots of them. All right. Got it. Any other questions about anything at all? Oh, wait. Is somebody supposed to, am I supposed to be in an appointment with someone right now? No. Okay. Oh. Good. Good. Hey, any questions? <coughs> Do I, I, uh, I have also been traumatized by knowledge. Yes. Yeah, she, she wants to know if she has to take the test by herself. So again, you can use uh, whomever you want to uh, as part of your process, but you just have to submit your own test. Okay. It means we have to add your email to the list. I've been enjoying this class up until this point. So we have to take a test. So some of the, uh, I think today's class is number 29, I think. So I posted the slides for 28 of the classes. There's one class that I missed. 
but it's all that document. I don't know. I posted so far 27. I'll also post them for this class um, after the class ends. Any other questions? We have time to take the test, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no deadline here, but uh, whenever whenever the I mean, it, the test is is not like an evaluation. The test is also to help you uh, internalize the concepts. In order for us to understand what's coming next. In order for us to have understood what we've already done. Oh, okay. so it's not entirely necessary for class number two. That's uh, what. That is correct. Okay, so then. We don't have to take the test for class number two. For class number two, you have to take the test. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Because another way to think about this is that it's very easy for this to turn into a type of, of entertainment. Let me just sit here and learn a, a bunch of nice things. And then you do that for a while, and then you have all these bizarro prophecies about, about the saving of Palestine and such. Uh, that is not our fault. <laughs> So let's see. Who's been teaching us this? <laughs> Man, I think, Dominic, I think you can understand where we're coming from. Oh, you what? just broke up. Yeah, uh, kind of not. I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, yeah, I kind of have no idea what you're going, what you're going through. I can't help you. <laughs> I mean, I understand, I guess, a little bit. I didn't take half Sunday Sunday school, uh, Islamic Sunday school to get all of that information, especially from like peers in the same class. I'm completely outside. Uh, I don't have that much information about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, period. So. Okay. And any other questions about anything else? Um, so after I read the Quran, I'm now reading the four the four gospels going through it right um and marking it i came across a verse where there was a woman coming after jesus right and she falls hey he'll heal my daughter he says i was sent only to the lost sheep of israel right talking about the israel uh jews then he continues and said um i do not i do not give bread to dogs when it can be used for children, roughly speaking. All right, then she said like, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that the master feeds to the children, say, right? All right. My opinion of that interaction was that uh, that was rude. Uh, from Jesus or from a woman? From Jesus. Okay. From Jesus. I have a friend who is a Christian and I was in his group, Horatio Christie. We are very philosophical and he, we start, we launched into a full discussion of whether that was rude or not, right? Um, uh, he, he the, the, the best reasons he gave that he was not rude was he looked at the actions of Jesus and not the words. Um, and which, even though he said that, she, uh, he healed her daughter from demon possession, right? I'm like, okay. Um, so his actions speak louder than his words, quote unquote. Right? Um, and his second reason was the cultural understanding between the division of the Canaanites, which the woman was, and the Jews. 
right? So those who don't practice Jewish, Jewish customs, et cetera, like that, are looked up or looked up on as unclean. And a common analogy that they use is dogs, right? So you're a dog, meaning you're unclean. Um, so those are two reasons. I don't know if I'm fully convinced, uh, but I just, what do you think? So I would suggest <laughs> um, for interpretation, uh, think of all the possible interpretations. Uh, I would add a third possible interpretation uh, that perhaps he is even learning himself through the whole process. That, <laughs> so so uh, his, his yeah. ministry is how long? Three years. Three years, right? Yeah. And so his ministry at the beginning of three years has probably gone through an evolution to the end of the three years. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be interesting to figure out where in this story that event is taking place. Mm -hmm. uh, I suspect it's probably closer to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, when, it's, uh, when you're looking at depictions of Jesus, uh, in the Gospels, I'd say uh, air towards sympathy, you know, uh, but it doesn't mean, you know, that, you know, a criticism is wrong. And so, uh, so you have to look at how he's being depicted, but my, my first thought immediately was either this is a, a type of metaphor or this is early in his teachings. And there are times where, you know, he is blunt. There's times where the Prophet Muhammad is blunt. Yeah. So that's also pipers. Mm -hmm. So that's, <clears throat> that's also part of the process as well. Any other questions about anything at all? So are dogs uh, um, unclean? Because in you know in Islam and the Arab culture, we're not allowed to have dogs or come near dogs or. So of, of, the, of the three major schools of, of the four major schools of law, three of them say that they're dirty. One says that they're not dirty. My understanding is their saliva is dirty. So if you touch the dog itself, do you have to do a do again? So in the three of the schools, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Sabrina's going to go to her parents. Okay, I want to be whatever this fourth school is of Islamic law. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I want to I get, you know, baby Clifford, you know. I don't even know what school I'm in. Um, as Arabs in Palestine, you're probably Shafi'is, and some, uh, some Palestinians are Hanafis, but most likely Shafi'is, and they say dogs are a no no. Which school says yes? The Maliki school. Okay, we're Maliki, Hanin. <laughs> I don't care for dogs. I don't care for dogs at all. It's Aya that wants a dog so bad. Oh, I haven't brought up a dog forever. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why are you putting this on me? I don't like dogs. Ugh. How did we split into four schools? That's what I would like to know. Why haven't we? It, it's not so much that we split into four schools. We've unified into four. Well, so, so basically, these are different schools of interpretation trying to get consistency in, of, of answers. Over the years, we've had as many as 30 or 40 schools. Huh. Okay, so we're down to four. Wait, why is your favorite philosopher Ibn Sina? 
Uh, Ibn Sina is probably the foundation for a whole lot of the, uh, the, the big thinkers. If you remove Ibn Sina from the picture, you, you drastically change everything. And big thinkers in regards to like of all philosophy? Of Islamic philosophy. Okay, Islamic, Islamic thought, yeah. But in general, I don't really have like a favorite. You know. But if I had to answer your question, I'd probably say Ibn Sina. I know Ibn Rushd, uh, he... So if there's no Ibn Sina, there's no Ibn Rushd. Now my professor, his favorite was Ibn Rushd. I believe it. Wait, why? <laughs> uh, I mean, Ibn Rushd is the most commonly uh, read uh, in Western tradition, especially because mm. Ibn Rushd is definitely is, is influencing St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas has sort of like really opened the door for the Western engagement into, into philosophy and such. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Any other questions? Uh, can we do a class on the history of Islam, like the battles and... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that class will take almost as long as the history of Islam itself, but possibly. I'll think about it, inshallah. Well... I mean, think about what we're doing. We're setting up foundations you know, yeah. through which to be able to look at everything else. Um. <laughs> Any other questions? Um, would you have like, <clears throat> would you have like private Zoom meetings? Sure, if, sure. If I have, if I have questions about a lot of stuff. Yeah, of course, Michelle. I'm still waiting for mine. <laughs> oh yeah, we got, we still have to schedule yours. Yeah. How's, how's your how's your parents' house? Is it okay now? Is my parents? Oh yeah, I think the I think the last puddle finally dried up. Awesome. What? Our house yeah. flooded. So so they're flooded from below. Yours, but uh, you flooded from above. Yeah, and by an animal. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was creepy. Alrighty, no other questions? No, I think that's it. Okay. Alrighty, we'll stop here. I've updated the document. It has all three exams in it. It has all the whiteboards, except like I mentioned, it's missing one day. The only thing that's missing is today's recording, but that's what Zoom uh, uh, has to process it anyway. So that probably will come up. Uh, I'll post it like in a couple hours and show up. So it's the pandemic Quran class? Part L1, yeah. Part L1. Where's this? Hold on. So that has all the previous recordings. Oh, we can use these notes? Yeah. Oh, I don't need you guys. <laughs> yeah, that student who, there's two students who used to take all those notes, but then they kind of withered away themselves. This, yeah. class, this class started with 70 students. Oh, wow. What? You're, you're, you're the survivors. Wow. Although Dominion and Maya came in later on, I think Sumaya might have come. No, I think Sumaya, were you there from the beginning? Okay. Yeah. Yes, I just didn't come to the first two um, courses because I was helping with tutoring. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Yep. Sana was there from day one. I think Hanyo was there from day one. The Spies were there, I think, from day one. Yeah. All righty. Warm. What'd you say? Uh, and we weathered your hurricane. Mm -hmm. There's 118. <laughs> okay, we will stop right here then, inshallah. <sighs>
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك سبحانك اللهم glory to Allah وبحمدك praise and gratitude to you نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت we bear witness there is no god but you نستغفرك we seek your forgiveness ونتوب إليك and we turn to you okay may Allah Taala reward you all inshallah yes Jazakallah khair for teaching us our class, this class. Yeah. Yes. Jazakallah khair. Shukran. Shukran. Yes. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. I'm impressed. Very, very good. Yeah. I've been studying this stuff for a while. Mashallah. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, uh, I'm very shy to express it because I'm afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, when did I first hear about you? Feels like it was like 10 years ago, I think. Uh, probably way back then. <laughs> Alrighty, and then and then I meet one day and it looks like Phil, uh, Uncle Phil talking to, to Ice Cube. Anyway. <laughs> 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 all right, inshallah. I'll see you all. Assalamualaikum. Okay. Yeah. Um.